Welcome to the Four Corners Podcast with Lenny Marcus. Joining me today, as always, is my co-host, Neil Potter. Hey there. Four topics, 15 minutes each. We're just killing time. Kill it with us. Our Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is the number 4C Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes. Listen to us on the Riotcast Network, Riotcast.com. Now, LaughButton.com. You'll, see, be, you'll be seeing a lot of social media on LaughButton.com coming through. Please subscribe to that as well. Today's guest pandemic week i think it's 12 i don't even know anymore i give up is a real renaissance lady originally from Reading, pennsylvania but is now based in philadelphia a teaching artist by day she has been known to tour the globe studying arts and foods and life and professionally documenting it with a camera along the way and my wife says she's a very interesting person which is what we like here on the four corners it's Lindsay's <laughs> Baragana. Thank you, Lenny Marcus. Welcome to the Four Corners. All right, so let's talk about this. You grew, you are from Reading, PA, and you grew up there, and you knew my wife from like kindergarten, supposedly. That's right. And and what is it about? Let's talk about small towns for one second. What is it about small towns? The, what I realized after marrying my wife in that town, it seems like people either stay in that town, Reading, PA. And they live and and get married, and it's like town gossip, and it's this little town. Or they get out, and they're like, I got to get out of this town and see the world. And you seem like choice, too. Yes, and I think that is a a very good observation of, you know, a small town um, that we think of as definitely growing up in a bubble. Your wife and I had the pleasure of going to school with the same children from kindergarten through 12th grade. So that means now when we have too much to drink, we still remember who pooped in the pool in the third grade. (laughs) That's right. Um, I am not from a small town. I mean, it's a it's a town, but it's not as it's about three times the size as that. And it's, you know, Long Island is huge. And Neil is from all over the place, but he's never lived in a town that small. Have you, Neil? Well, I mean, kind of my family's from Big Stone Gap, Virginia, so I feel like, but I'm not really from there, but I've spent time there. So I got that. I I get the feeling of it. I know it. But what is it, Lindsay, that wants you to get out of there? Like, are you like, I want out? Like, we had had, had a couple comics on, like, they're from little towns. One guy's from, he was from Alabama, and he's like, I could not wait to get out of that town. Like, everybody else had their job set up, and they were going to work in the family business, or just going to get a job landscaping in Alabama, whatever this little town was. And he was like, I'm getting out now, you know? So why Yeah, you? well, um, you know, we grew up in a, a little suburb right outside of the city of Reading. And um, my parents both worked in urban education when I was a kid. So I noticed that when I would go to football games and stand on the sideline with my dad, or when I would go to my mom's kindergarten classroom, um, the kids look different from me in those settings. And when I went back to my school, everybody looked like me. So (laughs) as a young artist and somebody who was starting to kind of understand um, counter narratives Mm -hmm. in culture, 
it became important for me to get out fast. Is um, you, wait, let me go right to that. When you say counter narratives and stuff, you're learning that from your parents as educators, yeah? Yes. Okay, and 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 where did the art come from? Are they artists? No, actually, um, <laughs> you know, my my mom made really good bulletin boards in her kindergarten <laughs> classroom, and my dad was really good at drawing football plays, but. They, um, they are not artists, and the only member of my immediate family who was an artist passed away right before I was born. Oh, jeez. But my parents um, fostered my creativity always. You know, I had a little studio set up in the basement, and I would do everything from paint to make fishing lures with my dad. Amazing. So my parents gave me the opportunities always to seek out art, and even though they didn't always get it, they were always very supportive of it. Well, yeah, that's that's that. Well, first of all, that's super important that they get it, or or they don't have to get it. That they just want to be supportive of it. But obviously, you can, if you have some art uh, ability. I mean, you know it basically right away. Like you can draw, or you like drawing. I swear to this day, I can't draw a stick figure. Like it's terrible. I have no well, idea how to draw a face. It's brutal. I would encourage you to start painting with your non-dominant hand, Lenny, and make some abstract <laughs> art and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I'll get right on that. I'm going to watch Birdie do the abstracts. Thank you. Lenny could, well, throw, can be the critic. Lenny could throw paint. That's probably the only thing he could probably I don't. Throw. I wouldn't even throw paint. You don't understand, Lindsay. I'm a knee freak. So when I was a kid, the first memory I have at all of school is in kindergarten where you put your hands in the paint on one thing and then you put it on the whiteboard and you bring the thing of your hands to your parents. Yes. I refused to do that. I mean, it was a battle. It was like judo between me and my kindergarten teacher to make that happen because I did not want to get my hands dirty. So art was probably not going to be in my future. Right. <laughs> but now, do you stay connected to the small town where you grew up? I mean, are you... Well, the truth is, um, you know, I, and, and I think Lenny's wife would agree, um, because the friends that we made have been 20 plus year friends, we're fortunate enough to still stay very connected. Um, and all of our parents, for the most part, still live in Reading. So, you know, often there are opportunities to get together when we visit our parents, too. And do you plan on going back and living eventually or no? No, never. No way. <laughs> well, she's seen the world. There you go. If she would be the last person to go back. So you end up at Temple University and then the Tyler School of Art, which is a pretty big deal, right? So, and you got a BFA in photography and then a, like a master's in education. So you left there pretty, you know, pretty, uh, with a pretty decent job lined up, I would guess. Well, um, you know, when you work in the arts in Philadelphia, often people ask, why not go to New York? And Philadelphia, for me, um, became an opportunity to be kind of a reasonably sized fish in a lake rather than a minnow in the ocean. And <laughs> okay. our arts community is really inclusive, really supportive. And frankly, once you start networking, after you've been here for a while, you know everybody. Right. So... You know, it seemed, it just felt like the right place to stay. I can't say that I've meant to stay for this long, but the city's been good to me, and I've gotten a lot of opportunities to work with communities and with children through art making, and that's what I really love to do. So what is your job now, officially? 
It's just a, uh, where Let's do you work? See. Yeah, well, the main um, one, the main job, the main. The main job. The yeah. main job, um, I, I work at an organization called the Prince Center. Okay. And the Prince Center is one of the oldest cultural institutions in Philadelphia. It's 104 years old. And it's a nonprofit gallery that is dedicated to amplifying printmaking and photography. Oh, wow. So the program that I run is an education program that places teaching artists in Title I low-income public high schools. And they facilitate projects that tie back to the exhibitions that we have on view. The kids come for field trips. I come for site visits to see them and see their work. So it's a really great way to um, meet new students constantly. We're serving about 600 kids a year right now. Where does the money come from for this quote-unquote nonprofit? We grant write... Um, that's pretty much all we do is grant write. I mean, we we write grants locally. We get small chunks of change from little foundations. We get NAEA grants. Um, so the funding primarily comes from the William Penn Foundation here in Philadelphia. They've been very generous in supporting us in growing this program. Um, and since I've come on board about three years ago, we've expanded serving from about 450 kids a year to 600. So we're running 20 residencies per year oh wow that's big that's big and you also and and part of it so what's what are like a typical what project are you working on now that you're in love with i guess is the thing what's, what's your big one now well with zoom is there any zoom projects or is there were you in the midst of one when the pandemic hit or how do you still yeah, deal with the kids it's been really interesting to kind of conform to this um different style of teaching and learning. And of course, it's very easy to do with the university students um, because they've got more access to technology and secure Wi-Fi. We have had to kind of curb our residencies and we're developing alternative curricula that we can uh, give to our teaching artists and classroom teachers in the fall. But as of now, you know, part of the creative problem solving that I'm really intrigued by is the idea of giving kids access to tools for critical thinking and creativity with what they have. And in Philadelphia, that means Chromebooks. It means cell phones and free apps, free software and paper. But I can't count on my kids having any more than that in their households to be creative. Oh, wow. So I need to think about new and inventive ways um, to enable them to, to speak their mind right now. So what projects what have you been doing give me a project that i can do on my cell phone what are you what are you making um well the first unit of study that i've developed is about abstraction so you know a lot of that has to do with um looking from a photo perspective at least looking for light because you can't have a photograph without light and the way light functions in your household at different times of day can lead to some really interesting abstract photographs. So by showing students some examples of artists, um, you know, throughout history who have made abstract art, that gives them kind of a catalyst to start to understand composition. Mm -hmm. And then with a free Photoshop or Lightroom app, they can alter that composition however they'd like to. Oh, wow. And so you've been getting, they've been doing these projects? Yeah, and we're really just about to roll out um, quite a few more units of study about things like identity, appropriation, really topics that emerge in contemporary art. 
So, you know, if you think about art after 1940 or 50, um, we've got the opportunity to teach content that students are not getting in their public school education. That's true. That's true. What are the age of the kids? All of them? Like, is this all grade school or does this go all the way through high school? No, actually, we are one of the only programs in the city that only serves high school students. Oh, wow. Um, you know, littles are, I love the littles. I spent five years teaching kindergartners photography. But um, the high school students really, really need this content. And it's easy to work with little kids. It's more of a challenge to work with the high school kids. And I like to do things the hard way. So I couldn't be happier with the population I'm working with right now. <laughs> Okay. Now, are you doing all kinds of, are you focusing on photography? Is that, or are you doing everything? Photography and printmaking, because the organization that I work for is rooted in the history of print culture. And of course, photography emerged from print culture. And that's um, your personal choice too, as a, as an artist, that's what you, that's what you do. Yeah, I, I was primarily trained as a photographer and um, I think now I've branched out to more of a of an artist in general but i'm trained in photography um and that is a really strong tool when you're dealing with identity and all of the things that teenagers are trying to unpack right. so it's really a pleasure to use those mediums with this population of kids and can you do it off your iphone or not really sure yeah, absolutely that's what she's saying i mean you can do it off the phone she's trying to teach them new ways to do this art but I know, but has Neil, there been a great exhibition with the iPhone photography, or just a uh, you know just your phone, or do you need a high end camera eventually as you as you get better at art or photography? Um, I'll be honest with you, the images that I've been making for the past few years are with my phone, are with plastic cameras. Oh, wow. um, sometimes they are cameraless using scanners and other optical tools. So you know, there's no reason that limitations in equipment limit your creative vision. I was at, that's why I was asking because I take great pictures off my iPhone. I did, didn't know if it, they, I was an artist or not, but now I'll call myself an artist. Thank you. <laughs> you should. If you understand composition, you're ahead of the game. Uh, that's fine. Well, Neil, Neil really just wants help with his TikTok, is what he's asking you, Lindsay. <laughs> no, I no, think I'm... between Birdie and I, we can help him out. <laughs> uh, before no, we take... before we end this segment, I just want to say, um, what also you're a lecturer, right? What do you lecture? Where do you lecture? And do you lecture on this stuff, like art and to schools, yes, to um, students? So I'm fortunate enough to uh, be an adjunct. A faculty member at both of the institutions that I am also an alumna of. So I teach at the University of the Arts and I teach at Tyler School of Art. Oh, wow. um, and the courses that I teach are rooted in collaboration. So often I take undergraduates off campus to collaborate with children in local communities. That's often based in photography. Um, we have on-campus exhibitions. We install work in neighborhoods. So you know, the, the root of what I'm doing really is a, a community arts practice principle. And I adapt that for photography, different visual and performing arts students as they come along too. Oh, wow. That's great. And, and, uh, and now during the quarantine as an artist, have you come up with a special, like a, an, an art thing for the quarantine yourself personally? Yeah, is there a mask gallery we should go to or something? Yeah, 
it's funny that you say that. Um, I'm I'm working with photographs um, from my personal archive right now, and I'm kind of developing these alternate substrates to put images on. So I'm using gold and silver leaf to ultimately create the background of an image. So it's it's actually really nice right now to be able to put in the work to create these tactile substrates because I don't have access to the printers that I need right now to actually print the photograph. So and that's something, that's something you would not have done if there was not a, this whole thing, right? Well, I'm, I think, I think I wouldn't have sat down and put in all the time so far. Like I'm, I'm actually finding that I'm working with a lot of ideas that have been in the back of my mind for a little while and I haven't had time for, and all of a sudden having this elusiveness of time, is allowing me to just kind of crank things out and not look at the clock. Oh, there you go. Um, okay. Finally, for this, we're going to wrap up this segment by asking, what's so? What's your? Are you living the dream, or is there a dream job? Like, if you could, you know, is it like writing, directing, producing a cooking show? You know, like all the stuff that you do that we're about to get into as well. Like, what is? If I said, here's whatever, ton of money, do whatever you want. What do you want to do? Um, that's a great question. I can think of a lot of different answers to that, but <laughs> okay. I will say, um, as of right now, I love, love interacting with people. And that is the root of my studio practice as an artist. And no matter what group of people I'm working with, I come home and feel like a million bucks. So even though I'm not making a million bucks, I am living the dream to an extent. <laughs> That's amazing. That okay. is exactly the opposite of me as a stand-up comedian. I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to the second corner. Um, All right. Um, that was great. That was great. Well, we now we get a you get a feel for it now, Neil. She's amazing. Well, um, I left that corner knowing that I'm an artist and I'm going to take my iPhone pictures and put them on a little book that goes on the coffee table, and that'll be my first art exhibit. There you go. I I think that sounds great. It's site-specific, Neil. I like that. <laughs> if you can write the little thing that goes in the front of the book and just, like, honor me as, like, a real artist, that would help. <laughs> Done. Consider it finished. All right. The second corner. That's funny. The second corner we have is uh, I want to talk about travel because you're – we'll come back to art in a minute, but this kind of sure. ties in. You've traveled the world. Now, when you travel, this is – again, this is what, what causes the wanderlust here, you know, is it – the love of art or just meeting people or just seeing new places or like what is and why do you pick certain places like i know you've been to sicily mexico nicaragua cyprus peru madrid i mean like all by yourself by the way which is another thing i'm going to ask you in a minute but like why these particular places is it are you do you start there going to art things you know or food sure. things and then go ahead well, I mean, all of my travels, um, all of these opportunities have come up for different reasons, you know, anywhere from simple vacations to artist residencies uh, to speaking at conferences. Um, but I think the wanderlust in general comes from thinking globally rather than nationally. Um, and something that I've always been interested in, even outside of art history, is the evolution of cultures. And you know, the, the gifts that we've been given in terms of artifacts, in terms of food, um, in terms of protest, and, you know, going to places and speaking to the locals and seeing things firsthand makes me a more well-rounded educator. 
and citizen in the world, really. Okay, so why? How do you pick Cyprus? Say, Cyprus. Um, Cyprus was an opportunity to speak at a conference. Okay, and I was speaking about the community engagement photography class. Um, Wait, and there are expats in Cyprus, or who are you talking to, and what language are you talking in? Well, I went to um, a Cypriot-based conference on photography and theory, and it was an English-speaking conference. Okay. And, you know, saw the opportunity, thought, oh, man, I would love to go to Cyprus. Threw out the application, and they said, hey, we'll pick you. So all of a sudden, this dream became real to go to this part of the world. Wow. And, you know, I don't know how much you know about the island. It's like but it's, it's half Greek and half Turkish? Is that? That's right. It's half Greek and half Turkish. So, of course, you know, I thought right away, all right, I'm going to hit the ground and I'm going to drive across the border, like right away. I'm going to stay on the Turkish side and just let's have things get really real right away. Okay. So, I, um, when I got to Cyprus, I had a very hard time getting my rental car on the Greek side of the island. And I met a gentleman who became my patron saint of Cyprus. His name was Alex. And he lived in England, but his mother was born in Cyprus, so he had a vacation home there. And we got to talking in line, and he said, you know, there are five checkpoints to get across the island. Two are driving, three are walking. I don't think you're going to find them before nightfall. So I started to sweat a little bit, and um, he said, why don't you follow me into town, and I'll help you to find a place to stay. You know, I'm a cop. You can trust me. Well, that means much to me. But I thought, okay, I'm going to trust my gut. So long story short, Alex and I became very good friends in the seven days we knew each other. We ended up traveling back and forth across the border together. And Alex um, wore a Star of David and a cross. <laughs> and he and I came across this beautiful mosque on the Turkish side of the island. And it was incredible. You know, we went in. Of course, I had to cover my head and go upstairs. He went downstairs. We stayed for the service. And when we came outside, the imam took both of my hands in his hand and said, please, please, please go home and tell everyone. We welcome you as a woman, as a Christian, and as a teacher. Please, <laughs> but please tell everyone. Tell everyone. And if they come, they will sit upstairs. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's the thing. If I'm in a place where I need to respect their cultural customs, right. I'm more than happy to do so because it's not my turf. Right. And that's how you learn. That's cool. Holy shit. That and was also the premise to Taken that you just, just <laughs> laid out. <laughs> well, I've been, I've been in a lot of interesting situations when traveling. And um, I've trusted my gut to get me out of situations, but I've trusted my gut to get me into situations too. Yeah. And this was a circumstance that it all worked out really well. Now, when you travel alone, do you feel this? Because I'm too chicken to travel alone. Do you feel this incredible sense of freedom and, like, like meaning and it forces you to kind of go out? Do you love that part of it? Yes. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I, um, I, I couldn't do I spent it. It's a, amazing. I spent a month in Peru this summer. Um, a month? And, yeah, and I came back honestly thinking I may never travel with another human being again for as long as I live. What? Um, you went with somebody? You know, no. No, I went alone. Oh, okay. I was doing an artist residency, so I had a home base, right. but I traveled around the Sacred Valley independently. 
I speak conversational to intermediate Spanish and actually the bus system was very easy to use. Um, people drew me hand-drawn maps and they got me where I needed to go, believe it or not. Did you get to Machu Picchu? Yes. And what's that like for our listeners? Um, I had seen so many ruins prior to going to Machu Picchu that I thought there's no way it will be as good as it's supposed to be. And then I got to meet Machu Picchu and I like wept like a child. It was the most <laughs> magnificent thing I've ever seen. Wow. Um, and I mean, what do you now? And that, what do you, do you have photos of all these places? Like, uh, yes, you do. Yes. And you know, I have, I have standard, if you will, photographs that I share with people that are more kind of traditional travel photographs. And then I'm working on an additional body of work of double exposures two images put together in camera to make one composition. And those um, are a lot more abstract and kind of juxtapose these agricultural terraces and these Incan ruins um, in interesting ways in the frame. Wait, you're taking one roll of pictures and then you're taking another one over it? Yes, ultimately, yes. But I'm doing it oh, wow. digitally. Oh, wow. That's like my Michael Jordan photo. That's right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so so now is your do you want to eventually have these like at the International Center of Photography or whatever that museum is in New York and you'll have your exhibit? Uh yeah, in a perfect world, Neil, hook it up. <laughs> okay. Just checking. Just checking. Yeah, Neil's yeah why not, not? Neil's not gonna make that let, happen, but it's a good dream. We'll keep our Let ears me call open. uh let me call Jeff Coons real fast and tell him that uh <laughs> I got an artist. <laughs> perfect. Uh, um, <laughs> So while Wait, you're... so let's go back to traveling alone. Did you read this book that was when I was in Italy a long time ago, I swear to God, there was like 20 girls traveling alone and they all had the same book. What? Eat, Pray, Love? Yeah, yeah that it one. had to have been. Yeah. No, I didn't read that. <laughs> oh, good. That makes me so happy. That makes me so happy. So and now where's the best place you've traveled? Where should we go? I love traveling. Oh, God. How do you even pick? Um, well... Oh. Where are the people nicest, I guess, that will help Neil once he gets lost and looks like he's got no money? You know? Well, you know, I have to tell you, Neil, the people in Peru are exceptional to the extent oh, wow. that when I landed in Lima on the very first day, you know, I was exploring the city by myself and a man came up to me and offered me cocaine. And when I declined, <laughs> he said, wow, you're really tall, <laughs> right? I, I was about 5'8". I stuck out like a sore thumb in Peru. And, but, and he was on cocaine. <laughs> well, he was trying to sell me cocaine. But when oh, I told shit. him I wasn't really interested, I asked him where the park was that I was looking for. And he was kind enough to walk me about 10 minutes to the park. We shook hands and parted ways. So, the, <laughs> so Peru, Peru is up on the list. <laughs> I, You know, it's a really, really... Catholic traditional um, country and it's respectful in a way that I hadn't experienced before. Some women experience catcalling and things like that when they go to foreign countries, especially when they look different than everyone else. Nobody would even look me in the eye for like the first week that I was there. <laughs> so if you're traveling as a woman on your own, Peru's a pretty pretty easy place to do it. Oh, there you go. Okay. Um, what, what do you get when you meet all these people in all these different places? Are that are people in general the same to you or do they, you know, like we all just want the same thing, just the, live their lives, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, 
they're not scared of Americans. What do they think of Americans? And then what do you think of people in general when you go to these places? Well, you know, that um, my perspective of all of that has changed, I guess, over the years and the more traveling I've done. I was in Cyprus in 2016, right before Trump was inaugurated. Huh. Um, so that was very interesting. I met some German women who were very rude to me because they could tell I was American. Mm -hmm. But the Cypriots were very different. Um, I met a fisherman at a pier, Andres, and I sat and talked with him for about an hour. And he said, when America gets a cough, we all get sick. Yeah. And I'll never, ever forget that quote. And, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes I think we forget um, the precedent that we set for the rest of the country. And on my last night in Cyprus, I had, you know, an empty carafe of wine and this big chef whisked by and picked it up off my table. And I thought, oh, man, I wanted another glass of wine. And he came back with the carafe filled to the brim. And he said, I am sorry for your orange president. <laughs> <laughs> so we ended up talking all night. Yeah, um, yeah did he call that one? Yeah, he exactly. did. And it's and he had actually studied. um abroad through the University of Connecticut. So he felt like he had a connection to the United States and was just devastated on our behalf, frankly. Yeah, yeah. He should have given you like the whole thing of wine, like the whole of that. Yes. Well, I did stay after hours. As soon as he found out I had restaurant experience, we ended up studying together for a little while. <laughs> but, you know, I think that um, in my experience, and I hope this doesn't sound trivial, a smile goes a long way. The attempt to speak a language to the best of your ability goes a long way. Um, I developed, uh, I, I delivered an academic paper in Spanish in Madrid in 2016 as well. And the first thing one of the audience members said to me was, thank you so much for trying so hard. You know, my list wasn't exactly perfect, right. um, but, but you have to make the attempt. And I think that in this day and age, especially, we need to extend the hand to other people instead of expecting them to meet us where we're at. Yeah. Um, Neil is not learning another language. Are you, Neil? Uh, I'm going to try, but in different ways. I'll just try with my photography. Yeah, Neil's going to act anything out wherever he goes because I would pay money to hear him try French, to be honest. I used to, I used to think I was going to learn another language, but I've kind of given up on that whole thing. <laughs> it's still time, Neil. You're a young man. <laughs> no, no, I've given up. And every time I travel, everyone knows English so well, I've just given up. <laughs> well, they do make it easier for us in some parts of the world, certainly. That's for Yeah, sure. I know. It, it is crazy. All right, let's go to the next corner. And we're going to work on both in here. Well, um, I want to talk about... We didn't, even, we didn't even get to Anthony Bourdain, and we talked about travel. How is that possible? Well, you oh, can, shit. You can talk about travel and art here in, uh, in the third corner as well, like... When you go to these places, obviously, most of the time you're going with, um, you know, some art goal in mind there. But mm -hmm. um, when, like, uh, I know you were looking at, I looked at something like you were in Mexico, you're like looking at textiles, you know, like that's the last place I'm going with. If Neil and I are going traveling, we're going to a place, maybe we'll pop into a museum. Neil likes going to museums. So where is the best, other than the Louvre, I guess, there's probably better museums in the world. Where have you been that you really love that we have to go to see uh, the, art? The, the Prado. The Prado in Madrid. Um, 
The Prado is a place where you could spend and probably should spend days. There are so many really, really crucial pieces from art history and collections that are so impressive there. Um, well, they're so Picasso's, the right? There's Picasso's all over the place there, right? Yes. Um, on you know, and and some Rembrandts, all kinds of classics. Oh, but wow. that's a really great place to go. I also, um, oh gosh, Museo Larco, L A R C O, in Lima was really interesting because they actually had a huge collection of Incan artifacts. So, for example. You know, you're seeing the intricacies and detail of funerary garb that people were buried in. Um, and the craftsmanship is just incredible. And I'm not someone who works three-dimensionally very often. My studio practice is very kind of quick and dirty. So I really actually love to see the craftsmanship and fine detail that people can put into their artwork. Hmm. Maybe I should get these people. I got to go to L.A. next month. Maybe I should get one of these artists to make me a uh, like a space helmet. <laughs> so protect myself from the pandemic. Protect yourself from idiots. I think that sounds great. Yeah. It's, it's good. Um, Neil is now going to, since we have you, Neil, go ahead. Give her your theory. Neil would like to steal. He thinks he can steal a painting out of one of these museums. Go, Neil. Tell her. That's totally not true. I don't want to steal anything. However, I do. I'm interested in in having a nice piece of art. How okay. is that going to happen if I don't st- unless I steal it? <laughs> no, you have to start doing your homework, Neil. You can't just snap and have it, you know, land in an Amazon box. So you know, you could you could always support institutions like the Print Center in Philadelphia, who shows only local, uh, li- not local. I'm sorry, living artists. And you could buy artwork there. Um, IPCNY, uh, the International Center of Printmaking in New York, I believe, has um, a lot of awesome things for sale. But, you know, it's really kind of a joy to fall into the niche of um, artists that you like to support. It's kind of like drinking a certain kind of fine wine. You know, you start to see what you like and you cultivate a relationship with an artist. And you support their work. Oh, that's very funny. Now, that's Wait, hold on, question. hold on. Neil, I know. Wait. Let me just tell you this. He doesn't want any of that. He just wants some, he wants to be, he wants an expensive piece of art on his wall that somebody else has deemed amazing. That's what you're oh, wanting. I like Van Gogh. It all started when I was in London, but I want to go back to that one. But I'll, it all started in London when I walked to the National Gallery, and there's a Van Gogh right by the door. And it just seems so weird that it, <laughs> I was like, okay, I guess I'll just take it and walk out. Right. So that was your first inclination was to steal it, Neil? Yeah. He doesn't <laughs> want to see the art. He wants to steal the art. No. And see, that's that's where I, I'm, mis, I'm misunderstood. I'm very misunderstood. I don't want to steal it. I just want to show it at my place. Mm. <laughs> Fair. What if- well, you might have to, you know, you might have to um, foreclose on your home to buy that Van Gogh. <laughs> so you would need a new wall to show it. That's all. Yeah, that's what I think. It would look good in this house. Wait, so let's wait, go back. Wait, wait, wait. How do you? If Neil saved every penny, Lindsay, he might be able to find buy the corner of the frame of a Van Gogh. I don't yeah, know well... why I'm attracted to stealing art. But wait, let's right. go back to how do you know all your friends in Philly and all that? Do you have a clear 
concise like do you go oh my god this artist is gonna be like the next whatever in like 10 years this is gonna be amazing like you feel that um so i i work i'm one of six so i have a very small staff at the gallery and i think that uh the curator that i work with is the person who sees the potential in artists in in the way that you're talking um personally for me you know, I, I stay on the pulse of contemporary art um, and the organizations, especially in Philadelphia, who are contributing um, to the type of art that I like to look at. But at the end of the day, when I make a purchase, it's about the aesthetics of what I like. Some people purchase art because it's a collector's item, because it's a certain type of medium, right? Maybe somebody really thinks that etching is is you know the pinnacle of their collection i buy things that i like and that i want to see every day on the walls of my house yeah thank but you. you see you see the genius or the talent let's say you're hanging around like a andy warhol of philly now it, is that what is andy warhol what makes him this great artist like what is that Yeah, he's doing a soup can i mean who cares well that's a great question i mean in the case of andy warhol he's an artist that was appropriating imagery um, and reinventing it and showing it in a new way to make a commentary, right? Yeah. So we often see, I mean, I hate to say this, but it's all already been done. Mm. So how do, you, how do you really, really reinvent the wheel, right? You have to start looking at kind of your personal voice and what you have to say to the world and seeing how some contemporary artists are using their voice to engage in really critical dialogue is really, really exciting. So Neil, I think you should, what she's saying is here's what you do. You get a really, get your favorite meal, eat it, right? Then vomit it on a campus, uh, on a canvas <laughs> and call it a self-portrait. <laughs> oh shit. I, that sounds I'm like funny. a winner to me, guys. I mean, it's Neil. funny, uh, Lenny, I didn't hear that really. I didn't hear that at all. <laughs> What'd you hear? Wait, so is Andy War like Andy? And you feel like Andy Warhol did what you just said? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, I think he made incredible contributions to art history, um, to the gay community, um, the whole shebang. He was an incredible figure in contemporary art. Do I think that there are other incredible artists that, for example, the population of students I serve need to see? Absolutely. So I don't okay. teach about Andy Warhol to my kids because they need to see artists that look like them. Okay, oh, I got you. So, I know I saw this Jeffrey Kuhn exhibit at uh, Jeffrey Kuhn's at, uh, and I just, I don't know why I'm attracted to his work, but I don't know what he does. Because that's I mean? the only one you've seen, probably. Jeffrey Kuhn, you like throwing that name around. is what. I'm like the worst artist because I only know <laughs> super popular artists. Though. Yeah, like my wife, same thing. She wants a Keith Herring to put on our wall. Well, there's Reddingwood roots there. That's so it. That's it. It's scribbled drawings of a guy standing sideways. And then I got to have that on the wall at like, what's the cost of a Keith Haring? Like a billion dollars? Oh, gosh. I couldn't even. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Somewhere around there. And, or yeah, Bas but Lenny, if Gath you want a Keith Haring, yeah. Lenny, if you want a Keith Haring, just talk to me. I can make it happen. Oh, where are you stealing that from? I don't even know where Keith Haring is. <laughs> no, Lenny, he's gonna he's gonna buy it with the proceeds of his coffee table book. Where have you been? Uh -oh. oh, that's right, that's right. I forgot about the coffee table book. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay, I'll get shit. right on it. 
You've heard of uh, Hirschfeld? Uh, yeah, but I can't place it. He's a he's the guy who did he did all line drawings. He's very he was an old man even and he did this too. He's like 102. He did these famous line drawings that were in um, uh, you know the New York Times. He's a famous artist basically in New York. Um, if you've ever gotten a New York Times with all the any any uh, Broadway opening, any movie opening, he would draw these like kind of cartoon line drawings and. Uh, awesome. And yeah, go ahead and ask ask Lenny where he found all his art. Go ahead and ask him where he buys his art. <laughs> Lenny, where do you buy your art? I bought a couple on a cruise ship. <laughs> well, one's a Peter Max. I got a Hey Peter man, Max. nothing wrong with buying local. That's Well, Peter Max is Peter Max is a famous New York artist. But listen, we have a Lenny story about Lenny got swept away on a cruise ship. He was about to, he almost spent like so much money. He got Totally swept away in Peter Max. Dude, that's your guy. The Peter Max was just big and colorful, and that's what I needed for an empty wall when I moved into my New York apartment, and that's the one I bought. It was between that. Listen to this story, Lindsay. You'll like this. It was between this and a Salvador Dali, right? But the Sal- <laughs> the Salvador Dali was a little tiny one that would just would look like, you know, it wasn't a postage stamp, but it was a, a small one and that would just be in like a corner, right? So now... Yes. I didn't necessarily like it. Didn't speak to me, Lindsay. Is the thing. So we, but Bethel Neil's significant other forever is was on the cruise with us, and we're talking to the guy who's giving the lecture. He's called himself the art guy, and the oh. art, art guy would whisper like this, and he gave a big lecture, and then you could, and then he would have they would have an auction or whatever at the end if they if you wanted to buy these things, but the. That was going to be more of an investment, the dolly, if I got it, because I didn't really like, I didn't like it, you know? So Bethel and I decided to find out, at the time we're thinking Salvador Dali, this has got to be like 18 years ago, Salvador Dali, we're thinking he's old and he's going to pass away soon, so the thing will go up in value. So it didn't matter if I liked it or not, I could sell it later on and, and make a profit. That was definitely part of it. But we had to go find out if he was old and was going to die. Right. So right. after the thing's over, Bethel and I go up and and we're idiots. So we don't know if he's dead or not. So we feel stupid enough already. And then we walk right up to him and I nudge her. And Bethel asks this question to this pretentious art guy like this. She goes, yes. Um, is the art still with us? Right. <laughs> and I lose it. Lose it one foot from this guy tears are coming down my eyes i can't i gotta turn around i'm having a heart attack laughing right and he goes the guy as the tears are coming down my eyes and bethel is standing there waiting for her answer i don't know how she kept a straight face he goes no (laughs) (laughs) and i i'm still giggling so we we stared at this thing like we were gonna buy it and he came over to us like you guys uh art history are you professors or art history majors or whatever and we're laughing like this guy's kidding right we were just (laughs) we basically picked the most expensive piece on the ship and uh and he thought we were like experts the way she asked that question i think and we were like, no. I, uh, I envision him stroking a beard with an eyebrow raised. Kind of. It. Yeah. He didn't realize we were morons. But uh, <laughs> that's, my, that's my biggest art history story, Lindsay. Um, but yeah, we, you know, it is what I think, like I tell anybody, though, if you have it on your wall and you like it, that's all that matters. Because I have a friend, she's got a lot of expensive art on her wall. And like one of it is like, 
it it's a lamb but there's like i forget how it was made and it looks like it looks like almost candle drippings down the print you'd really like it i don't know i don't know what they call this print right but i call it like this schmutz on your lamb you know so i'm like I'm <laughs> so i'm sure it's worth like you know 50 grand this painting and i'm like shitting on it because it's like i think it's just you know you've blurred your lamb i don't know what you're doing well it sounds to me like you should bring neil as your plus one to the christmas party and then he can take it home with him yeah i don't know why you want, I, I wouldn't let him st- i wouldn't let him steal that painting it's not good enough <laughs> um all right neil you have any other questions about art you stealing stuff because i have one more who are your favorite? Ahead, you are, do you have a favorite artist of all time, Lindsay? Not right now, no. But, I really don't. What about Not through enough. history? Like, you know, Picasso, Van Gogh, Rembrandt. Like, do you, you just love them across the board? Um, I mean, there are a lot of photographers that uh, whose work I really like. You know, classics, um, Francesca Woodman, um, Jan Saudek, um Oh, well, Woodman, of course. You know, all those things, all those things that I use as teaching tools all the time. Um, you know, people that I'm kind of inspired by right now, of course, are like Red Scott, um, Nathaniel Mary Quinn. I just learned about his work, which is really interesting to me. So, you know, there there are constantly new voices coming to the table. And I'm always excited to kind of see how people are reinventing themselves, especially right now at this point in our living history. Neil, take those pictures. Reinvent yourself. Wait, can right. you say the wait? Can you say the name of the last person you just said so I can write it down? Nathaniel. Nathaniel. Mary. His middle Quinn. name was Mary. Actually, um, he lost his mother early in his life, and he inserted her name into his so that her name would appear on a diploma. Well, there's oh, one wow. for you. And what see. kind of art, what kind of art are we talking about? He's um, actually doing like a lot of collage work where he appropriates images from African-American history and combines them with portraits um, of people who he knows. So, you know, it's just kind of interesting to think about how you construct and reconstruct an image and how that kind of shapes the sense of of identity for the artist and for the viewer. Hmm. Got it. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, I know. I, I, I'm questioning my own art now after talking to you. Maybe it's not as good as I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, you should just come take one of my classes, and then we can work hand in hand to cultivate this vision that you have. Oh, yeah. I, when, I, I will have pay to. for it. I will pay for it. Please. I want to see the what he produces out of your class. I would. I'll hang it on my wall, Neil, if you want to go. Oh, you know, indeed. Promise. In New York, in New York City, there's an art school in our basement of our building, and it is so freaking crowded. And our our building has a meltdown because they they all they dominate our building. So there's a big war. But I'm not anti-art just because of that. I still love art. <laughs> well, your building is art. It's got a you know a the doorman lives in the elevator. I mean, yeah. Do do you consider architecture art? Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, I think there's a functionality to it, obviously, but if you look at how some people work as architects, um, I think that a lot of it comes with the conceptual framework first, and then the technical aspect, of course, is developed on top of it. But yeah, absolutely. So like a house can be a piece of art, like you think, and you want to live in a, a, 
you want to have a house with like full of art? Is that your like? Do you have? Is that what you aspire to? Like that? <laughs> okay. uh. That's a great question. Uh, do I want to live in a house that is art? That it not only is art, but it's full of art. Like, is that hard? You know what I mean? Does that is that in your thought? These I are... mean, my house is kind of full of art. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna apologize for that question, Lindsay. Can we move Wait on? Wait a Neil? second. Did you hear what she just said, Lenny? You her, didn't hear it. Her house is full of art. Why wouldn't yeah. I have art in my house? She's an artist. An no, artist. I'm just saying. You know what that means? Time for uh, Neil oh. to come over and just check it out. <laughs> he's thinking about. He's casing the joint, Lindsay. I'm ready for the grand tour, and I'll. I'll, I'll mark everything closely and see what remains. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Did you have a quite Hold on. Gina no, no, stopped I in. I just wanted to listen to this. Oh, okay. He shot. Gina, you got Gina off the couch with your ridiculousness, Neil. All right. Let's go to the fourth <laughs> corner. Um, all right. We're going to do a quiz. Neil, please hang up, and I will tell you. I will call you back, and we'll, we'll uh, quiz you back in. All right. Bye. Bye. Okay. All right, Lindsay. The Fourth, Neil, did you hang up? Did he hang up? Yeah, he did. Okay, good, because uh, he's he's a cheater too, so he's a thief and a cheater. We can't have that. Okay. All right, this fourth corner. Um, this is I'm sort of gonna go back to the travel thing for a minute. This is a very quick game. It's gonna go very fast. I'm just gonna give you a famous place, and you're gonna tell me where it is. That's it. Jeez. Oh, we're gonna do. Okay. We're gonna do twenty of them. And a famous, oh God. yes. Just tell me where I am, okay? When I tell okay. you, they're gonna go. It goes fast, and and whoever gets the most wins. Here we go. Number one, Golden Gate Bridge, San Francisco. There you go. The Tower of Pisa. Pisa. Well, where? In what country? Italy. Yeah. The homeland. <laughs> Auschwitz. Oh, God. Oh, God. Berlin. I don't know. I forget. Sorry, say it again. I forget. You want to guess? What am I thinking here? Berlin. That's not right. But Poland. That's my guess. Come on, man. Where's my... That's... I'm not thinking well. Great Pyramid of Giza. Egypt. Yes. Christ the Redeemer. Rome. No, it's that big statue. Big st- Christ the Redeemer? I don't remember. Oh, my God. Stone- this is the world traveler. Stonehenge. I know. Stonehenge? Yep. England. There you go. The Acropolis. Athens, Greece. Yes. St. Ba- Basil's Cathedral. Uh, Florence. No, that would be in Moscow. Hmm. Uh, what am I thinking of? St. Sa- Petro's. Oh, all right. Sa- Sagrada Familia. Sagrada Familia. I'm going to say Spain. Yes. Um, Blue Dome Church. I don't know. Okay, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Well, I'll answer these when Neil gets back on. Windmills at Kinderjik. Probably Kinderhik. The Netherlands. Correct. The... Burj El Arab Hotel. Dubai. Yes. Agra. Shit. Uh, I don't know. All right, I'll give you another. I'll make it easier for you. The Taj Mahal. Um, I got it. That's right. It's in my song. Uh, 
India. Um, That's it. Yeah. Bran Castle. I'll give you a hint. A brand castle. <laughs> Las Vegas? I don't know. <laughs> There's only one brand castle. Uh, I, I have no idea. That is not helping me. Transylvania? <laughs> Transylvania. Come on, man. Oh, shit. That should help. The Brandenburg Gate. <sighs> St. Petersburg. No. I don't know. Wailing Wall. This the what? The Wailing Wall. I don't know where that is either. Oh my oh. lord. Mount Everest. Uh, what is this? You do need What's... to travel more. She, I don't... She's not I mean, I... Steve's. She's... I know it's in the United States, but I don't remember which one. Mount... Washington, maybe? No. Not even close. Mount Rushmore. What state? Oh, I don't know. No, that's not true. Uh, oh, I thought this was going to be its 20. Oh, I didn't no. know. I don't know what state it's in. Mount Rushmore? Mm -hmm. I want to say, I don't know. Eh, Washington, Montana, I don't know. North Dakota, I don't know. Okay. Well, which one's your answer there? Uh, North Dakota. No. Uh, Where is it? <laughs> I'll tell you when Neil comes on. He's going to be so excited. You might actually win one. Petra. There's some ruins for you. Petra. No. Turkey. No. And Where? Mount, I'll tell you when he's done. Mount Eden Crater. Jeez. Mount Eden? Uh-huh. The crater. It's a crater. It's a famous crater. I can tell you where the Mount Etna Crater is. Um. Hawaii. I don't know. Oh, that was a good guess, though. No. All right, so you got, I can't believe this. One, two, three. Sometimes the guest surprises us. Three, four, five, six, eight, nine. Oh, my God. Neil could win one. This is going to be, this is going to ruin my day. Hold on. Let me get him back on. It's going to make his day. Yeah. That's why. I could have no. talked about all the sea algae I've eaten. <laughs> oh, my. Shit, that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, we'll have to, the next time you come back, it's food. Um, <laughs> Neil, I think you have a big chance. She only got nine. Uh, well, if I'm it's about shocked. art, I'm in deep trouble. Nope. It's about travel. And it's, I'm going to say, I'm going to give you a place. You just tell me where I am. You can okay. be as specific as possible, but I'll tell you, you could just, most of the time, it's just the country. I'll ask you if you have to be more specific. Okay. All right. The Golden Gate Bridge. San Francisco. Nice. The Tower of Pisa. Italy. Auschwitz. Poland. The Great Pyramid of Giza. Say that again? The Great Pyramid of Giza. Oh, Egypt. Christ the Redeemer. Christ the Redeemer? That's a church I grew up in, my hometown. <laughs> so that must be the answer. <laughs> That's why I picked it, Neil. What hometown is that? Which one of your five Wait. hometowns? Church of the Redeemer? Christ the Redeemer. It's a giant statue. Okay, don't give him All right, go ahead. Uh, hey. I guess I'll go Jerusalem. No. It's in oh. Brazil. Brazil. It's a oh. giant, it's a huge, you know, when they had the Olympics, they always showed it. It's huge. Yeah, it's, the, thing, the thing overlooking the thing. Yeah, yeah. I Rio. 
Okay, Stonehenge. Stonehenge is in England. Yep, the Acropolis. Uh, that's in uh, Greece yep. or Athens. St. Basil's Cathedral. St. Basil's Cathedral. I guess I'll go Rome. No, that one would be Moscow. That's where. Dang uh, it. That's when you see the famous pictures of Moscow. That's that crazy. Uh, I don't even know what it's. Yeah, it's, it's, like it's the, that Russian. It looks like art. Candyland. Yeah, Candyland. Yes. Yeah. Did uh, you get that one? No, I said Rome. Actually, I couldn't uh, place it. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't get that one. Number okay. nine, Sagrada Familia. A Barcelona. Yeah. Been to it. <laughs> there you go. Blue oh. Blue Dome Church. Uh, that's in Turkey, Istanbul. Been Ooh. to it. No, that's in Greece. <laughs> Dang it! <laughs> I thought my confidence a, would win yeah, out on that no, one, but it didn't. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been to Turkey, by the way. You already yet, have seven, so you only need three more out of the next, like, 11. Here, windmills at Kinder, Kinderjuk. Uh, that's definitely somewhere in the Holland. So yes. Go Good. The Burj El Arab Hotel. Say it again? The Burj El Arab Hotel. Mm. Beirut? Oh, close. Dubai. Oh, shit. It's that weird hotel and sitting in the middle of a nowhere and a water or surrounded oh, okay. by water. Uh, Agra. The Taj Mahal, hey. Neil. That's what I'm talking about. The Taj Mahal. That's in India. Yep. Bran Castle. Which one? Bran. Like the muffin. Bran Castle. Wow, I don't know about that one. I'm going to say Germany. Um, should I give you the same no. hint I gave? I have to give her the same hint. No, you don't. I don't. <laughs> Gina wants Lindsay to win. <laughs> I had to give Lindsay a hint. You ready? Yeah. Bran Castle. Wait, say, do your hint again? I thought you were saying Grand. G-R-A-N-D Castle. Brand Castle. Oh, God. Transylvania or whatever? <laughs> yeah, no, go. that doesn't count. God damn it. <laughs> Dracula. Bra that's right. Brandon, The Brandenburg Gate. Uh, Berlin. Yep. Wailing Wall. Been there. Where's the Wailing Wall? Been there, did that one. Wailing Wall. Wailing Wall, Jerusalem. Yep. Mount Everest. Mount Everest is, uh, well, I guess it'll be in Nepal or India. Yep. It's on the border of Tibet and Nepal. Very good. Mount Rushmore. Uh, Mount Rushmore does North Dakota, I guess? Ah, oh, so close. South Dakota. South That's Dakota. what I thought. Damn it. Petra. <laughs> Petra's Jordan. Yep. Oh, my God. And the Mount Eden Crater. Do you have any idea what that is? Have you ever heard of it? The Mount Eden Crater. Yeah, I guess Wyoming. No, that's in New Zealand, kids. Damn it. But, I thought it was the one from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. <laughs> but. That's, that's, uh, which one? You, that's it. That's the end. The, All right. The, I think I got a victory. I, I think you did. The winner of the week, Neil Potter. Woo! The rare win for Neil Potter, but that was a lot of fun. Um, I, that is a big win. Thank you for letting me win. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> no problem, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The way we end the show is one good thing or one bad thing of the week. So, Neil, you want to start us off since you are the winner this week? One good thing, one bad thing? 
Well, my good thing is uh, Rami's show is amazing. I hope everybody gets to watch that show. And you're in episode was... six of Rami, right? He won the Golden Globe well, season two Yeah, I got to show. be in it, and the show is just freaking amazing, and there's just some really good stuff in it, and I highly recommend If you can't, if you need my Hulu password, just let me know. I'll give it to you. I don't. I don't know if there's a limit on Hulu passwords. Well, luckily, this uh, somebody in China who stole it. Chile. Chile stole uh, Gina's Netflix password this morning, so she had to reset that. Oh. Oh, jeez. Nice. Okay. She woke up to that this morning. So thank you, people in Chile. Go suck it. Um, okay. Um, so yeah, well, but yeah, Neil's on episode six of Hulu's new show, Ramy. It's season yeah, two. Yeah, it's, it's just a really great show. So that's my really good thing. And then my bad thing, of course, is I, I, I think the world's clearly falling apart, and uh, we have, you know, we know why. But also, I, I can't, I can't. I have been using TikTok, and <laughs> it, this is the bad thing: is like. The world is clearly falling apart, yet there's still just people dancing all the time on TikTok. That it's like a different <laughs> alternative universe. <laughs> I don't think this is a good thing that there's people dancing constantly, like living in in like a world that's just amazing. And then you turn on the TV and the world's having a meltdown. Yeah. Well, so uh, it's not a good sign for the United States of America. TikTok is not <laughs> does not make us look good. Uh, Lindsay, one good thing or one bad thing of the week? Oh gosh. Well. Bad thing of the week here in Fishtown, there are white supremacists toting their guns all over the neighborhood that I live in. We'll leave that right there. Oh, my God. Um, the good thing of the week is that I have planted some lavender in my little backyard, and hopefully that is starting to keep the feral cats from pooping where they're not supposed to. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow, that sounds like a fun town. <laughs> There's been a lot of heavy research crazy. about this, guys, and apparently lavender and orange peels are off-putting for feral cats. And it's also off-putting for moths. If you put lavender in your clothes closet, it'll keep out the moths. There's a one fact I didn't know. Does it work on squirrels and chipmunks too? Because they're eating through our house. I think you'll have to find out. That's your homework, Neil. Damn it. I know. I I was looking for an easy fix there. uh, That might be it. My bad thing of the week this week is we actually have the first time in my lifetime, I think, maybe since I was a tiny child, but since I've lived in New York, definitely there's, there's this curfew in New York City. You have to be in your house by 8 o'clock. You can't be roaming. You can't even go to the store. Mm-hmm. They don't want you running around. That's a first. So I don't know people out there who love the orange Cheeto as president. Uh, how the hell does that happen? I never had a curfew in the greatest city in the world, but that's where we are. But the good thing of the week is sweet little birdie turn two. And she's the best, and she makes happy everything happy. Happy birthday, Birdie! Happy birthday, Birdie! All right. Wait, wait. When they did the curfew, did they play the the horn from the movie The Purge or not? <laughs> they they didn't, but they should. I'll tell you that. Actually, Gina heard it. Right, Gina's close to the microphone. Last night at what time? Like right around. 15. What time? Eight fifteen. Eight fifteen. They heard the mob of people coming down. That you could hear them coming up Broadway, and uh, a little scary, right? Little, little really scary. yeah you can hear the people they're they're marching and they came right up right up broadway right around 8 15 and it was like oh, what did they at eight o'clock swarm. did they do the thing on the tv the little alarm thing on the yeah, tv not on the phones the phones on they the did. Um, yeah it was crazy the am the ambient sounds here right now uh, beside helicopters are small explosions because people are using quarter sticks of dynamite to blow up atms wow. so 
in this unprecedented world, hopefully we can all try to stay safe. Well, that's why I just look at a little two-year-old smiling and hopefully it makes it all right. Um, yeah. Well, my wife was right. She's a very interesting person. Lindsay, thank you for coming on today. Um, your Instagram uh, is uh, Lindsay Sparagana, and your um, website is lindsaysparagana.com. And is there anything else you want to uh, uh, tell us? No, I just look forward to the opportunity that Neil and I can work together. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. You are living the dream life. I could only be so lucky. I hope that does happen. I'm that not lying to you. sentence has never been said. So First time for everything, guys. There it is. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this, Lindsay. We really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Okay, Thanks, that was a lot guys. of fun. And we'll see everybody next week. <laughs>